Well, welcome to Cross Defense. It is a Manic Monday. Just another Manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday. Because Sunday's such a better day than Monday, right? Everybody on Monday is like, oh, it's Monday. It's a new week. Everybody's kind of like, you know, I got the Mondays, stuff like that. Sunday, in the church anyway, Sunday is a great day. It's the high day. It's the day that every other day wants to be. It's the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Hey guys, we got a great show for you today. This is Cross Defense that you're listening to right here on KFUO. And I am Tyrell Bramwell, your host, the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in the beautiful Victorian village of Ferndale, California, way out here on the Lost Coast, if you're looking on a map. You know, it's, as far, it's as far west as you can go before you, you hit the ocean uh, on the, in the lower 48. It's a wonderful place to be. And uh, I just want to let you know before we get started, we've got a great show for you. But you can get a hold of me at TyrellBramwell.com. Go ahead and send me your emails, any kind of bits of brain-buzzing Bible brilliance. Let's keep using that alliteration. That's fun to say. Uh, questions, comments, and things like that, they can be sent to me via the contact form over there at TyrellBramwell.com. You can also find me on all the social media outlets, the big ones anyway, the big platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. And uh, you can DM me over there, post with me, and engage with me, and all kinds of good stuff. That's that's how you can get a hold of me. It's good to be with you. I'm excited about today because I get to share with you something amazing in the, the last two segments of the show. We're going to talk to a brother pastor, uh, Pastor Nathan Nugabauer, who serves a dual parish in South Dakota. We're going to talk with him about the rainbow, God's rainbow, not the uh, not the flag of pride, but the bow that God has hung up in the sky that uh, proves his covenant of peace. It shows he is uh, he he has made peace with us, and we're gonna we're gonna connect that to Jesus. That's going to be in the last two segments of the show, so make make sure you stick with us. In this first segment, I want to kind of talk about something. I'm actually going to do a lot of reading, probably, from a book here. Something that's been on my mind a lot since Vicarage, since I went to Palo Alto. I did my, my Vicarage in Palo Alto, California. And um, there's a book that a former pastor, uh, who's now um, with the Lord, resting with the Lord, uh, wrote a, a book on ceremony and celebration actually and uh, of course you can find links on my on my social media for that but he he wrote this book that and and i read it you know it was very interesting to be a vicar at a congregation and to read a book by someone actually the guy who um was there when they built their building and he was very influential and you know enorming and forming the congregation so in their practices and they still very much abide by what you know the customs of that original um, catechesis. So this has been on my mind for a while now, the liturgy and, and the liturgy as the solution, hear me now, the solution to the decline we see and observe in our churches. Now, I don't know exactly where you're at on this, but I want to kind of posit this for you that we as modern American Christians tend to think, can tend to think that going to church is something we do. Actually, that we do it in order to please God, because he's, he says, right, we shouldn't break the third commandment, that we should uh, honor the preaching of God's word, want to gladly hear it and learn it, to, to keep the Sabbath day, 
right? Protect the Sabbath day, reserve it for the hearing of God's word. The third commandment, which by the way, by the way, is um, the the shout out. I got to pull this up on my, my email here. See if I can do it really quickly. I want to shout out to um, a, a listener who sent in the answer to the question. Where did I put that now? Uh, last week's question, of course, I'm not going to be able to find it right away. What did I ask last week was what sin were we dealing with, with the idea that it's more important to go to, say, the grocery store or anywhere else than it is to come to church, that we uh, we see that as a necessity to take care of buying our groceries. But we, in our sin, end up not seeing the necessity of going to church, right? That was the question. And I asked people who were interested, listeners, who uh, wanted to send in their, their answers, they could direct message me or email me. And I got this reply, and I'm not finding it on my, my phone here. Let me see if I can pull this up. Bear with me. So this is what kind of had triggered me to talk about this idea of the Lord being the doer. I'm going to pull this up real quick. Bear with me, folks. This is good stuff. I want to make this shout out. Go to the KFUO file. Go to that listener contact. See, I'm organized. We got the listener contact. Now, here it is. Much easier to pull up on my computer than on my phone. I want to just say that, Angela, you nailed it. You nailed it. The sin we were dealing with is against the third commandment, right? That uh, we're not honoring the preaching of the, of the Lord and we're not hearing it. And also, you, you did well to point out that this is a sin against the first commandment, too. That uh, we're, we're, we're having an idol, something before God. We're putting our trust and our hope and our, our faith, our reliance on something other than God and his word that says, come to church. This is important. Hear my word. Receive my word. Um, receive the sacrament where my word is attached to these elements for your good. Right? You nailed it. So good job, Angela. Thanks for listening and thanks for replying. And um, as I promised, I won't reveal uh, wrong answers, but I got to tell you, I didn't get any. There were, there were no wrong answers. So thanks for that. But that whole thing last week and that reply got me thinking about the problem of seeing a decline in our churches. We're always wor worrying, what, wondering, what can we do to uh, counter this? What What's wrong with the church? Is it broken? Can we correct this or change that or fix this up or dress that up? Or, you know, how can we add more bells and whistles? It's always, what can we do to fix the problem of people not coming to church? And I would, I would say that the issue is not in what we need to do differently, but in what we need to think differently. And, and that took me to this book by Reverend Paul H.D. Lang, Ceremony and Celebration. And now I want to, I want to read to this to you. And this really, this kind of makes sense with what we're going to talk about in the last two segments too, with Pastor Neugebauer about the rainbow and, uh, and even the Tower of Babel. I have a, I have a question for Pastor Neugebauer about the Tower of Babel. I want to get his opinion on that and hear his the theological brain work and bless us all as he does that on the show today. But let's, let me, let me read this to you. I, I, I want to put this out there as an answer to the, the problem of, of our decline. So listen to this brilliance and, of course, always uh, open to your comments and, and thoughts on this as we move throughout the week. Um, by liturgy, Pastor Lang begins. It's right here on page one. <laughs> it's great stuff. By liturgy, we mean the church's worship as distinguished from private, personal, and group devotions. So we're talking corporate worship here. 
It is true, of course, that private Christian worship cannot be disassociated from the church's worship. The church is the body of Christ, and all true Christians are members of that body, whether they participate in the church's worship or are engaged in private or group devotions. From the point of view of membership in Christ's body, the daily life and personal devotions of every Christian are part of the liturgy. Did you hear that? Your daily life, your, your personal devotion is part of the, the corporate liturgy, the, the corporate uh, activity of the church. Okay? St. Paul speaks of the liturgy from this viewpoint in Romans 12.1 when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable liturgy. But personal and group devotions, he continues, though not disassociated from the church's worship, need not and may not be an expression of the worship of God by the universal church. If they are not such an expression, we call them private prayer and not liturgy. Liturgy is the worship of God by the universal church or by an individual Christian or a group of Christians as an expression of the church's official worship. Private prayers and group devotions which are not said or done as an expression of the church's worship are, of course, God-pleasing and good, but we do not call them liturgy. The materials of liturgy include such things as history, theology, rites, rubrics, bodily movements, music, poetry, books, architecture, painting, sculpture, metalcraft, needlecraft, and vestments. All of that, right? Some or all of these things are included in the concept of liturgy, but they are not the liturgy. They are only the liturgical materials. It is not until Christians use these materials and do with them the church's worship or what is an expression of the church's worship that it is liturgy. Liturgy is essentially something that is done. In this respect, it is like music. Musical instruments, notes, scores, and books are associated with music. But they are not music. They are only musical materials. There is no music until someone takes up a musical instrument and plays the notes. So it is with the liturgy. An order of service written in a book is not liturgy. It is only a liturgical material. There is no liturgy until the order of service is done, is carried out. Liturgy is, and wait for it here, here it is. Liturgy is action. It is doing. It is action. Liturgy is action. He continues, and now here we go. Here's where we're getting to the good stuff. To say that the liturgy is something that is done, that it is an action, does not yet give us the deeper meaning of the liturgy. We have to ask, who does the liturgy? By whom is it done? Looked at from the outside, it is easy enough to see who does the liturgy. It is done by Christians, by church people. That is true, of course. But is that the full answer? Who is the real doer? Not until we have the answer to this question can we understand the deeper significance of the liturgy? It is precisely because the answer to this question was obscured that people came to look upon the liturgy as something done for them by the clergy and the musicians, and that in it, at least among Protestants and many Lutherans, 
They had no part except to listen to a sermon and sing a number of hymns. The laity came to believe that they could go to church when they felt like it, and when they came, they came to be instructed or prayed for or entertained by specialists in what they hoped might do something good for them. Often there was no intention of coming to do something themselves or to participate in an action to glorify God in the saving of souls and in the edifying of the body of Christ. By whom is the liturgy done? The real actor in the liturgy is our Lord Jesus Christ. In the liturgy, he continues his high priestly office, Hebrews 7 to 8. Together with Christ and through him, the actor in the liturgy is the royal priesthood, which is the body of Christ, the universal Christian church. From this deeper insight of the nature of the liturgy, we can see how inadequate some definitions of the liturgy are. The liturgy is not the prescribed or authorized order of service of certain churches. It is not the manner in which some churches carry out their worship services. Such definitions fail to consider who it is that carries out the liturgy. The liturgy is an action by Christ and his body, the church. It is done by the congregation in church or by individuals or groups of Christians in the name of the universal church and as an expression of the church's worship. To say that our Lord Jesus Christ is the chief actor in the liturgy is to say ultimately that the liturgy is carried out primarily by God, the triune God. For Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity and the Holy Trinity is inseparable. God is active in the liturgy through his word and sacraments as creator, savior, and sanctifier. God, in Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, has created the church, the new Israel, the royal priesthood, the ecclesia, the chosen people. Created and moved by God, the chief function of the church is to worship God, to do the liturgy. Say that again. The chief function of the church is to do the liturgy. In the liturgy, primarily, the church offers up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and shows forth the praises of him who has called her out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. Man's activity in the liturgy is that of response to God's activity, but even this response is initiated and motivated by God. When the church preaches the gospel, and administers the sacraments. It is God who speaks and acts through the church for the salvation and sanctification of people. When the church offers her sacrifices to God, she offers them through Christ in the Holy Spirit to the praise and glorification of God. It is God who initiates and motivates the church's worship, the liturgy. This church's worship or liturgy is the worship of God by and in and through Christ in union with the members of his body, the church. In this definition, we see the deeper meaning of the liturgy. And by it, we protect the word liturgy against misunderstanding and improper use. My goodness, I love that stuff, right? It is amazing. We want to do, don't we? We want to be the ones who are going to fix it. We're going to do it. We're going to see that that's kind of what they did at the Tower of Babel. 
That's kind of what we do when we forget about the bow hanging in the sky. We're about to go to our first break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Pastor Nathan Neugebauer about the rainbow and about God, the great doer who brings this covenant of peace upon us, to us, for us, but that we get to participate in as we live out our life, trusting in him, right? And we, being made part of Christ, get to participate in the liturgy too. We do get to do something, but ultimately it is not us doing it. It is the body of Christ. It is Jesus doing it with us, through us. He loves to work through means, through his creation. And so he works through us to worship him. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Our first segment is already over. We're going to be right back after this for round two with Nathan Neugebauer. Don't go away. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Welcome back to Cross the Fence. As promised, we're going to speak with our guest, the pastor, Nathan Neugebauer. He's going to share with us some information on, of all topics, one of our favorite things to talk about. I'm telling you, this is something that really gets me excited. It's been getting me excited for a number of years. I heard this, what, what Pastor Neugebauer is going to tell us all. I heard this in his sermon uh, in homiletics class. I think it was homiletics one at the seminary. We were all, you know, learning how to write a sermon and this was the text he was he was going to preach on on uh well this is part of the propers for the day and and he ended up talking about the rainbow and you know cross defense is about exciting the imagination equipping the mind and comforting the soul right and we always talk about how we're trying to drive away that temptation that the devil is using against us to to think theology is boring and dry and stuffy and all of that nonsense this is one of those situations where I get excited about it every single time I come across the rainbow and I start thinking about scripture, this sermon and what this information that Pastor Neugebauer is going to share with you all in just a moment, this thing has been planted in my heart for years now and it gets me excited. So uh, I wanted to bring him on here, share him with you, his insights into uh, the rainbow in Genesis. And uh, let's, just, let's just dive in because it's good stuff. Uh, Pastor Neugebauer, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show, taking time out of your day to, to share with us some goodness from Scripture. Glad to be here. Let's talk about the rainbow. What do you got for us? Well, would you like to hear a snippet of uh, what you heard some years ago? I would be delighted. Absolutely. Okay. All right. The rainbow, most always looked upon as the great benign beauty that it is, should not be dismissed as such. As God says to Noah and his family after the flood, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This word God uses in reference to the rainbow is not a word that means specifically rainbow. Rather, God uses the Hebrew term kesheth, 
meaning bow, as for making war, a war bow. This bow which God places in the clouds carries not only the beauty of promise, but foremost, first of all, the power of death. Placing his bow in the sky, God gives us an image of his wrath. By the stretching out of his, this majestic bow, God fired his wrathful arrow against the earth. By this almighty bow, he pierced the firmament and gouged the earth, causing the waters to burst forth from the deep and pour down from the heavens as a torrent of rain. As he spoke to Noah, he did. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Such is the image God gives us by hanging up his bow in the sky. This war bow now arcs the clouds as a reminder that despite God's wrath, he has promised peace, hanging up his bow gently in the clouds. Thus God has hung up his wrath. God now speaks to Noah and his sons, among whose children we all are numbered, to make a covenant between himself and all life on earth. In this covenant he swears even by himself that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Oh, yes, that's the good stuff right there. That's what got me so fired up. And it just I don't even know if you realized this until I contacted you uh, this week to come on the show. Uh, but that thing, what you preached right there on that, on the bow, it, I had never, ever in my life thought about the rainbow. And this is, I'm at the seminary, right, when this is happening. So I don't know if this is kind of revealing my, my uh, ignorance or my naivety or something, but I always thought of it as this you know, very pretty thing in the sky that's multicolored and just looks nice after rainstorms, right? Like I never thought of it as a bow as you so perfectly bring out of the text. Well, you were preaching not on a Genesis text, though. You were preaching on Mark, right? I was actually preaching on Mark. I was yeah. preaching on uh, Jesus walking on the waters past the boat. Right. So uh, as we get further into this, don't let me forget to ask you to connect that dot for us. Okay, those dots. Oh, sure. But sure. Uh, Okay, so tell us a little bit about, about the bow and how you got to that, you know, to preach that, how, how you got there. Well, I think, you know, we're so we're so acquainted, so well acquainted, I hope, and most of us just are well acquainted with the account of Noah's Noah and the flood and the ark and of course the rainbow. Right. Uh it's such a prominent feature that it's really hard to miss. And it but it's so prominent and and so ingrained and familiar to us that when we read the, when we read the Bible, we read it and we say Rainbow, even though like in, in our ESV now, it actually just says bow. Oh, and, um, uh, but, uh, you know, as far as uh, noticing something like that, uh, it was brought to my attention in turn some years before I preached this, and I, I couldn't let go of it either. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting. And to, to miss these things isn't actually a bad thing. It's just reading the scriptures is a as a human to whom Christ is coming, uh, uh, a member of mankind um, who, who is receiving Jesus in the scriptures. And what it can point us to is actually uh, like what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, that uh, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, that has to do with uh, soaking up that word richly, 
but I think it also bears witness to the richness of the scriptures themselves, that you go back to it and you read it again and again and again, and it's inexhaustible. That's right. That's right. And there's, and this is why I love this show um, and, and what Pastor Wolfmiller has done with it and creating this idea that you know, we have a place here across the fence to talk about that which excites our imagination, because I think he's right, and I think the, the listener will agree that we have this false notion of thinking the scriptures are dusty, boring, dry, all these kind of words, right? But they're not. And when you go back to them again and again and again, you start to mine out these little details that bring the text to life, both both just for the, the mind to chew on, but also for the comfort of Christ, right? That really builds up for us just what God has done for us in giving us a Savior, uh, in hanging up his bow. So talk to us a little bit, if you would, please, about this concept of it's not a rainbow in like, you know, Lucky Charms kind of, you know, pot of, pot of gold at the end of it kind of a thing. Um, that that's kind of a derivative of, of what's going on. It happens after rain. It's a bow. So what's with this bow hanging in the sky? What does that mean for us? It's, it's really uh, very interesting uh, to look at. Uh, so you have, you have before the flood <laughs> these words of God. He says um, he's really nailing down our sinful condition, our sinful nature, uh, what Luther on occasion calls person sin. Um, like it, it's, uh, yes, it's a corruption of our nature, but uh, for the sinner it's really hard for us to even tell the two apart. Right. We just automatically do these things. We automatically not just do, but are these things that God condemns, that are that are contrary to his will. We've fallen in Adam. And so uh, before the flood, he, he gives this reason that anticipates the flood. He says, um, uh, okay, we, we have recorded in, uh, by the Holy Spirit through, through Moses, uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Mm. Okay, so we have this as a reason that he's going to destroy everything on the, on the face of the earth. Now, um, one thing that's so marvelous about the Old Testament, whenever you read it, is you have this picture of deeper spiritual realities, uh, that uh, you have pictures of the eternal things. It's, it really happened. It's true history, but it's also a picture for something deeper. And so um, uh, the fact that, Mo, that uh, Noah yeah. and his family are preserved during the flood uh, it doesn't mean that they were an exception to the sinful nature of fallen man, but that they, uh, well, Noah represents just a Christian man. Right. He believes in the promise, and he, uh, he lives according to it, and it begins to show God has made him a new man, um, which uh, sounds a little bit like the, the baptism <laughs> that uh, yeah. St. That Peter tells us the flood teaches us about. That's right. Um, but here's... Here's this remarkable thing. <laughs> so God says this about the state of man. He, he creates this universal catastrophic flood to destroy uh, 
everything in which there is the breath of life. Uh, he says that the waves cover the mountains. Okay. Uh, then he lands the ark, and uh, and the Lord uh, and Noah makes an offering to the Lord. And when the Lord smelled the pre pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, "I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth." He says it again. <laughs> the curse is, the sin is still there. The curse is still there, um, but he's not going to to do this again. So what we have then in the flood is, is not something that, uh, it's not the thing itself. It's not the final judgment itself, but it's a very clear picture of it. Um, and, uh, but then we have this change too, that God is now going to hang his kesheth, his bow in, in the clouds. And, uh, um, so on what grounds? Does he make this change? Yeah, yeah, tell well, us about that. So, uh, really, we, as far as uh, why the difference afterward, we, we, really, we really just need to look at, uh, well, why didn't he destroy everything in the first place after Adam and Eve sinned? Because he said, uh, when you eat this, you will surely die. Right. And did they deserve that? They deserved death and damnation, eternal damnation from the moment they sinned. And yet he preserves them. Uh, so we have something, we have an echo of that here after the flood. And the basis of that is, uh, have you ever noticed that he actually follows the blame? Uh, so we always look at, at Adam and Eve and the serpent and we say, well, the fall into sin with Adam and Eve. And we say, um, oh, the blame game starts here. Mm. Uh, but God actually follows it. He follows the blame game. Because there's some truth to it. Oh, right. It doesn't actually absolve the person who's doing the blaming. That's the part that doesn't work. Ah. But uh, so he starts with the serpent, uh, the author of evil. Right. And, um, and there he makes a promise on the basis of which Adam and Eve do not have to die and be condemned eternally. But God creates a time of grace. For them, he says, "I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between her seed and your seed. Uh, he shall bruise uh, your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Uh, changing from uh, a plural sense of the seed to the singular, and that, in a very telling way, the first preaching of the gospel, uh, the gospel that was given to Adam and Eve to believe and so be saved for eternal life um, uh, with the, by the forgiveness of their sins. And so that promise is passed down from generation to generation on to, to Noah, uh, who believed that promise and led his family in that promise as well. And so they're preserved from the flood. And, uh, but we do have a picture here of the condemnation, the death, right. not just eternal death that we deserve, but the present death uh, that the world deserves, the condemnation, the destruction, the end of all things. Yeah. And as you, as you think about it, and, and this image has haunted my mind in a great way uh, since you brought it up back in Homiletics 1, that, you know, I cannot not think of God now as, and I don't know why, but just for my own from my own personal imagination, I think of him in these like sort of Norse God kind of <laughs> settings 
where this this warrior god is now coming into the great hall and he's hanging up his weapon like he's he's putting the the rifle back on the rack right like he's he's putting the sword back in the the umbrella holder by the door <laughs> i don't know where you put a sword when you're done but you know you're hanging it up and and this idea that yahweh the god is is coming after this war with mankind this destructive wrath um, that he has waged and he's now saying okay peace look you can see my bow is is right there hung up on the rack of of the clouds that to me has just blown my mind and i'm so excited to, to be sharing this with with everybody um so you you made a great picture of the the following the blame game you know uh, seeing what's going on from adam to noah and I want to, in the next segment, I want to take us, I want to ask you to use your, your brilliant mind to help me figure out Babel, because all of this came back to me and it, it you know, I was reminded of your sermon as I was reading a, a book, I was reading an ancient book, you know, Josephus. And I, I had missed this before. I'd never thought about the tower of Babel like this before. And th- you know how things, I mean, just like returning to the text, right? You return to the text and something new is, is there for you. And uh, I want to get your, your opinion on it after the next after this coming up break and uh, see what we can do and see if it fits in with what you're telling us about uh, Kesheth and the bow. But before we go to the break, tell me about this, um, any more about the bow and the making war and the war bow concept. Any more details there? Anything we can mine out of that before we go to the break? Yeah. Uh, so we talked about how nothing really changed in man, uh, <laughs> that uh, God puts his bow up in the in the clouds. Um, but it's, it's pure grace. Uh, but it, it points to, well, and uh, the grace that it is, is a temporal grace. It's a, this worldly grace that he will never again destroy the world by a flood. There is a coming judgment of the world, um, and, uh, and an eternal one at that. Uh, but, um, this, uh, this promise points us forward to, uh, the fulfillment of that promise that it, this is a, a distinct foretelling of it, a foreshadowing of it okay. because of the fact it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's so universal that even though man is still evil and, uh, they're going to multiply and, and the evil is going to multiply again, uh, he's just not going to flood the earth again. And so that points us to Jesus um, there is, but, uh, but one way that, uh, that this wrath is put aside, mm. uh, pointing to the eternal salvation that we have in Christ. The rainbow was not sufficient in itself, but also pointed forward to Christ, promising his coming. God's wrathful arrows were far from spent. Therefore, he took up his bow only once more and fired one more, one last arrow. This final arrow he has also fired into the earth, into the earth indeed, but not against it. Not this time. By this arrow he planted and built up the cross, and by it he pierced and bled the Christ, hanging all the wrath of his bow across the back of his son. Good stuff. We've got to take a break. We'll come back to that in just a second. Don't go away. We've got more from Pastor New.
Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. All right, you're back with us at Cross Defense, and we're having a great time with Pastor Nugabauer, who, you know, I failed to mention to you all, he serves a dual parish in South Dakota. Pastor, could you tell us exactly where you're at? Yeah, I'm way up in the northeastern corner of South Dakota, and uh, uh, I'm uh, the nearest uh, bigger town is Millbank, South Dakota. Um, My home and one of my two congregations is south of there a little ways. A little town called Revillo, and east of town, there's uh, and that's St. John's. Okay. And there's a little congregation, a uh, little country church that is uh, out east of Millbank, and that's called Bethlehem. Okay, great. And uh, you've been there for a while. I think this is uh, your call straight out of the sim, right? Yeah. It great is, stuff. So uh, what a joy! Seven. What a joy to yeah. be able to do that. And uh, South Dakota, how so? You said the near, the nearest bigger city is Millbank. I unfortunately don't even know where that's at on the map, but uh, locate it to us according to Mount Rushmore. How, <laughs> how far are you from Mount Rushmore? If, if you took that's South the only Dakota, thing in South Dakota, right? That's the only thing Wal- in the state. <laughs> and Wall Drug. Oh yes, yes, Wall Drug. You can't miss Wall Drug. <laughs> Uh, Five cent coffee. It's true. <laughs> it's still true. It hasn't changed. Um, free ice water. <laughs> if you took South not Dakota sponsored. and and folded it like diagonally, okay, it would be those opposite corners. So Mount Rushmore oh. is southwestern corner of South Dakota, and uh, and Millbank is northeastern corner. Oh, as far away from it as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in the state. Yeah. yeah. You've got to have a pilgrimage to get there. <laughs> Otherwise, you lose half the fun. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Okay, so I don't want to. I don't want to get too sidetracked. But thanks for telling <laughs> us. Tell us where you're at, because you were. You were actually, if I'm guessing right, if I'm if I'm accurate, you were preaching to us from that sermon. I recognized it as you at the end of the the last segment. You were taking us back into your sermon, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah such good stuff. Uh, and we're talking about the rainbow for if if anyone's just now joining us. We're talking about the rainbow in Genesis and how it's not just this, uh, you know, very benign symbol in the sky or, or beautiful, you know, God, God's paintbrush in the sky. It's not so uh, artsy, actually. If you think about its context, it's actually a a battle bow. It is a weapon of wrath hanging up for us to recognize the covenant of peace God has established. That he established with Noah, and uh, I thank you for remind us again. Thank you for bringing this up. That it's a temporary covenant that then points us to Christ, who on the cross, which is our permanent, eternal source peace. of peace. Right? Yeah. Right. Can you right. recap real quick uh, for anyone who may be joining us that? And this is I was going to ask you about this, and you were. This is how I recognized it. The sermon you talk about the cross as a final arrow, right? 
one last right. arrow. He shoots, the Lord shoots down onto earth. Talk to us about that, or even just read that from the sermon again. I love that, and I want to just kind of hang on that for a second. Okay, all right. The rainbow was not sufficient in itself, but also pointed forward to Christ, promising his coming. God's wrathful arrows were far from spent. Therefore, he took up his bow only once more and fired one more, one last arrow. This final arrow he also fired into the earth, into the earth indeed, though not against it. Not this time. By this arrow he planted and built up the cross, and by it he pierced and bled the Christ, hanging all the wrath of his bow across the back of his son. Oh, yeah. See what I mean, guys? Are you all seeing this? Can you see this with your mind's eye, with your imagination? Can you picture what Pastor Neugebauer is painting for us? This is a wonderful expression of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, the peace we have with God, His covenant, what He has done for us. Remember, from the first segment, He is the doer in all of this. He is the actor. He is the one bringing peace. He is the one serving us. And this is a wonderful example of that. Now, Pastor, I want to I want to get your mind on something. I want to see what, if I'm tracking with you and if this is accurate and uh, just get your input on this. I was reading um, Josephus and I'll show you with D. Uh, Josephus, the essential writings. And this is the, the version I have here is a new translation by Paul Meyer. And I don't know how new it is now. It's probably not the newest translation. But um, anyway, I was at the Tower of, of Babel section. And I'm going to read that right now for you. And this is for everyone listening. The Tower of Babel is in Genesis 11. This is after the flood. We have Noah's descendants. Uh, we have the nations, right, the table of nations. We're finding out kind of how the world is populated, who, who's who, and what's going to end up, you know, how they're going to end up being dispersed across the world, which, uh, you know, readers of Scripture will recognize that happens when we're dispersed from Babel. Babel. How do you, how do you say it, Nathan? Babel? Babel? I just go with Babel. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know what the proper Hebraic pronunciation would be. But the whole earth. So here's, here's Genesis 11, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read scripture, and then I'm going to read Josephus. I'll tell you guys what I'm doing. And uh, then we're going to get Pastor Neugebauer's take on it. So Genesis 11, starting at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. All right, and I'm going to stop right there for a second because I normally have read this and, and saw this as man wants to stay put when God said, be fruitful and multiply and go out, right? So God had said, go, and man saying, no, we're going to stay. That's, that's how I normally read it and, and worked with it until I read this Josephus text. This is what Josephus says. Now, Josephus is a, a Jewish historian, but we can mine some good stuff out of this, right? He says, Shem, Japheth, and Ham, the three sons of Noah, who had been born a century before the deluge, the flood, before became the first to descend from the mountains of the plains. Remember, this is this is a historian. It's not biblical, right? This is just a historian's interpretation of, of Jewish history. They became the first to descend from the mountains to the plains, setting an example for others who had stayed in the heights 
for fear of flood. And Nathan, you had mentioned how the the flood covered even to the, the mountaintops, right? right. The scripture yeah. says that. Uh, right, it does. They settled on the plain of Shinar and grew so numerous that God counseled them to send out colonies. In their disobedience, they imagined that God was trying to divide them and make them vulnerable to attack, divide and conquer, right? So they followed Nimrod, the grandson of Ham, who set up a tyranny and began building a tower higher than any water could reach in case God ever wanted to flood the earth again. I read that, and your sermon popped in my brain, and this rainbow, we have this language of divide and conquer, and the fear that the the uh, descendants of Noah were having toward God, which is... As I'm as I'm working with this text, I'm thinking is distrust. So how yeah how are you yeah, hearing it, good. Nathan? As I read that, how wh- where's your mind going on this theologically? Actually, I I reviewed a little bit of Luther here. Oh, good. Uh, okay. In uh, in chapter nine, with the placing of the bow into the heavens, and uh, he too uh, refers to it as a, something that reminds us both of wrath and of promise, but he does say that. Uh, this this had to be a, a, a marvelous sign in the sky uh, to reassure Noah and his family that God was serious about not doing this again. Because, I mean, that really got me thinking. I mean, yeah, I might want to stay in the mountains, even if there were a promise. That would be my temptation. Yeah. And uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just kind of, it does make just this language of plain. And this is something for the listener you know, you might just read over this. They, they settled in the plain of Shinar. Okay, woohoo. That's like geographically, that's where we're at in the story. I don't really know where that's at, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to get to the good <laughs> stuff, right? But there's a detail here with this mountaintop. Uh, you know, the, the, the arc lands and the mountains of Ararat, right? There's this mountaintop, and then they, they're kind of hanging out there for a while. They finally start to venture out, venture down. They end up in the plain, and, you know, plains are where the floods happen, right? Like, the low spots where the water's going to fill in first. Think of your bathtub, right? Now, they're hanging up there by the by the soap dish, and they come out of the soap dish and they go down to the bottom of the of the tub. Where where the, where's the water going to reach first, right? It's going to reach those plains. And so they say, "Ha, we got an idea. God wants us to go out into the world because He wants us to be weak. We're strong when we're united. So ha, we're going to build ourselves a tower, or an artificial mountain, right?" Um, I don't know exactly what picture of the tower people have in their mind when you start talking about the Tower of Babel, but I think of a ziggurat from doing some study, right? Almost pyramid-type shape that looks more mountainous than than skyscraper. You know, we're going to build a mountain. Yeah, it does look mountainous. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to build this mountain to to get away from God. So man has, you, you had pointed this out before the break, man has evil in his heart. So even though God has placed his bow in the, in the sky, he has this beautiful, magnificent, as Luther is talking about, symbol of his peace. Here it is. You can see my battle bow is hung up. And then he says, go be fruitful and multiply. Our inborn, fallen nature says, oh, he's trying to trick us. He's trying to trick us. He's going to send us out. He's going to isolate us, divide and conquer, and then he's going to flood us again. What does that say about the evil of man's heart? 
I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah. Uh, well, the words that come to my mind are inventors of evil. Oh, yeah. That's right. Inventors of evil, right? We have no reason yeah. to distrust God, and yet we're going right. to spend all of our energy building a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> he, even put it, he even put his bow in the sky. And... That's right. That's right. Okay, so <laughs> take us back to the bow. What else can you tell us about this? Let's, let's get back to the rainbow. Um, with that, maybe the listener, listeners, go to Babel if you want. Spend your time there, but definitely make sure you understand that in context of the rainbow because that's what we're, we're going to keep talking about. Okay. What do you got for us, Nathan? Well, I think part of part of recognizing that this is a, a bow that God has placed in the sky is a helpful reminder of um, of its implications, and that is, uh, it's not a it's not a ticket to sin. Um, do, do not use your freedom as a an opportunity for the flesh, Paul says in Galatians chapter five. Uh, but that's what you see the rainbow used for exactly in our day and time, day and age. Oh it's, yes, right. uh, um, every depravity you can think of, uh, just about, um, are going to be supposedly under the guise of this rainbow. Well, uh, that doesn't receive the rainbow with the humility that recognizing that it's a warbo. Uh, Good should, point. Well, is helpful for us to remember. Um, so, in fact, what it should help us do is it should help us bear the cross of this time of grace. So so it is a time of grace, a time of grace for this uh, that we have under the rainbow, uh, that is, um, God won't flood the entire earth again. Um, that doesn't mean do what you want. That means uh, turn to me, uh, hear my word, let me work in your heart, uh, and, uh, and change your hearts to turn to me, repent of sin. And so... Um, and so cling to my son in grace, in this time of grace. And now once you do that, uh, yes, you have the full assurance of all of God's favor um, poured out on you lavishly. Um, but it's hidden. It's hidden under the cross. Um, so where our life is hidden also. Yeah. So Colossians. Um, so... Let's see. You, you bring up something so this, really interesting. If I can interrupt for a second, I sorry to do that to you, but um, no I've been you know ever since the rainbow has become this massive symbol um, of the opposite of what Scripture says, right? This uh, a symbol to to live in very evil ways and to do so with pride, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I have I have tried to convince myself and even mentioned this to others in in conversation that you know. Well, now we can look at the internet, and every time we see a rainbow, we can think of God's promise. But what you just said, and this whole conversation reminds me of, of maybe a, takes me to, doesn't remind me, but takes me to a new, new understanding. Because I would rather see, instead of seeing the colors, and that's all we see, right, with the new version of the rainbow, we just see multiple colors that yeah. stands for diversity and things like that's this. That's right. It's... But where's the, where's the bow? Where's the bow? We're missing the bow. Even... That's good. Yeah. So we need to, we need, uh, who cares about the colors, right? Who cares about that? I mean, they, I'm sure there's something, in, you know, in that as well. You can, They're marvelous. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but where is the bow? Where's the bow? And it's, you can see how those who really are well using the, the, the colors, the flag, as their, you know, their, uh, their banner mm -hmm. of, of what they want to represent, 
you can see how they've forgotten the thing that is meant to turn us to that understanding of peace, understanding of God is still, uh, you know, he's able to take us out. <laughs> he's, he's still God. Um, but, but he, the, the bow, you know, he is, he has made peace. With anyway. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep, well, keep, keep no, that I am so glad you did. That's amazing. That's interesting. Uh, well, and another irony there is that, uh, although we have the rainbow, um, Jesus himself points to the, the deeper meaning of that peace, that that peace should have for us. Um, when he calls our attention back to the flood, when Jesus teaches oh, the flood, yeah. it's, it's not over That's right. uh, in a sense. That is the fuller meaning of the, of the flood, the humility we should have under the bow. Um, he points to very clearly, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah. Jesus himself uses the flood as an image of the coming final judgment, the eternal judgment. Oh, that's um, right. And so it's in this time where, uh, yes, everything looks like it's going just fine and dandy. It can because of God's super abundant grace, not only saving grace, but also right. grace that allows us a time of grace um, in which to repent and believe in the gospel, that people are eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And this is real marriage that Jesus is referring to, <laughs> That's right. not, not manufactured marriage, right. uh, uh, fictitious marriages that... Uh, the governments and other groups can come up with. Right. Um, so even even those real things can delude people into thinking that it's more okay than it is. They are not receiving the full implication of the bow in the sky. Uh, but God's God's patience does mean for us a time of bearing the cross. Then that is during this time of grace, we see something that the world is blind to, that right. uh, mankind. Uh, who has only evil in his heart continually, uh, as God says, uh, that carries on. And he's totally oblivious to the true uh, full meaning of this. And so, um, and this Peter talks about in his epistles, especially Second Peter chapter 3, oh, yeah. uh, that uh, God's patience is waiting for, for all to hear his word and repent, that is, giving them all a chance to turn and repent in this time. Um, that is so right. We're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time, but what a great, okay. what a great word to end on, right? God's, yeah, God's peace know. is so great. This is for all. If you're listening out there, this is for you. Thank you, Pastor Nugabauer, for being on the show. Thanks for taking us time, taking time out of your day to spend with us looking at the rainbow. Thank you My for pleasure. that wonderful uh, brilliance that you shared all those years ago and then for resharing it with us right now. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again Thank you. soon. Thank you, Pastor Bramo. All right, guys, you've been watching Cross the Fence. We'll see you next time. Have a great, great week. God bless.
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.